Welcome to the Help for Wounded Spirits. This podcast exists to reach those wounded and suffering through life's trials. And now your hosts, Dr. Doug Carriger and Mrs. Stephanie Wesco. Great to be back with you folks. Today, the special day that we've all been looking forward to is, uh, it's not so special for Stephanie, but this is October 29th, the day before the, uh, Charles Wesco was martyred in Cameroon. And we, we promised that this day we would play a message from Charles Wesco, uh, his deputation message. So you could get to know what he and Stephanie went through. They traveled on deputation for a few years. As many of you listen to us, we believe that probably a quarter of all the people who listen to us are missionaries. And, and um, so we want to go ahead and play this for you. So we're skipping our usual stuff where I say hi to Stephanie and stuff and or uh, that we... Uh, you might be a knucklehead if or uh, food that's right with God or anything like that. We're going straight into Charles Wesco's message. But I want to say a couple things before we get going on this. Listen to everything Charles has to say. And folks, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this, Brother Eric is always in our production crew. Is comes out and gives a very straightforward, very honest salvation message. And I would encourage you to listen to every word of that. And if you're not saved, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So without any further ado, I really want to play the message for you today from Charles Wesco. This is October 29th. It's a Friday. Uh, he, he died on October 30th, which will be a Saturday this year, but three years ago. Um, he had passed away on a Tuesday, but here's Charles Wesco uh, just one year prior to going to the mission field, and I want to go ahead and share that with you today. You know, it always takes time. Here we go. You know, sometimes a temptation for preachers when you don't have a lot of time is to cheat the reading of the Word of God, but that's not a part worth cheating. And tonight we're going to read a few verses together here because I think the Word of God stands more uh, weight by far than the words I could do say in expounding it. So we're going to read together from Matthew chapter 19. So turn there if you would, please. We're going to start in verse 16. And I want to share with you this evening a message about the challenge about living for eternity. There's a lot of things in America people live for, but I hate to say it, a lot of the Christian world is not living for eternity. And I remember this is actually not a message that's original with me. Uh, the Sunday before we began deputation, we started evangelistic meetings at our church with evangelist Phil Prettyman. Uh, it was a special meeting he had scheduled, even though the Lord had since called his family out of evangelism and into mission work in Uganda, there in Africa. And they've raised a majority of their support now and should be headed over there pretty soon. And this message was perfect for me. Uh, it was what the Lord knew I needed. Every message that week was good. And it was so wonderful to have those special meetings just before we hit the road. And we were only at our home church, uh, only had a... a three or four open Sundays that whole year when we could be at our home church. And, and I appreciated this message so much, I went up to Brother Phil and said, could I have your notes? <laughs> because I need that. 
And uh, so I'm not just preaching to you tonight. I'm, I'm preaching to me because uh, this message really helped me in my walk with the Lord and my perspective of this life. And I think it could be a help to you in the same way. So I'm sharing this uh, from a message that was his that's mine now, okay? And so Matthew chapter 19 here, let's start in verse 16. It's not that this is an unfamiliar passage, but uh, I want us to, I'll read, you follow along. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he, that's Jesus, said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus saith, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast. Jesus knew where to touch this man in his own personal need. And Jesus told this message to this man what he needed. And he said, And give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily or truly, I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I, I say unto you, it, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, big mouth Peter, he gets in here. He helps us understand things better. I love Peter. He asked some questions we all would be too embarrassed to ask, and he gets it right out there. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? <laughs> and, uh, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundred fault and shall inherit everlasting life now, i don't know about your bank but mine charges me for an account <laughs> and if they give me any interest it's half a percent uh, living for eternity turns a hundred percent interest rate that's pretty amazing statement there and jesus goes on and he says and you'll inherit everlasting life but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
In other words, the currency of heaven is going to be quite different than the currency of this world. Chapter 20, Jesus goes on, and, you know, we could get into a theological treatise here, and we could talk about this being a kingdom parable and the context and what it's set for, but I don't want to do that tonight. Save that for another day. I want you to think about this in a devotional way with the time, few minutes we have left here. I want to picture yourself as Peter. Big mouth Peter just said, what do we get? And now Jesus gives this parable. Jesus was great with parables because at the same time that parable could be teaching those unbelieving people, same time it could rebuking those Jewish Pharisees could be rebuked through the parable, at the same time Jesus' own disciples got what they needed from the same kingdom parable. And so after Peter just answered this question and Jesus gives this answer, I want you and I to put ourselves in Peter's shoes tonight and think about what this parable would have meant to us. And get out of all the theological talk and bring this home. So listen, this is the parable about the hired laborers. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man who is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and, and said unto them, go, go ye into the vineyard and, and whatsoever is right, I, I will give you. And they went their way. And again, he went out about the sixth hour and, and, and the ninth hour and, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, 12 hours in a workday, so about the eleventh hour, one hour of workday left, he went out and, and found others standing idle. And saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. It's like, get going. We'll talk about your pay later. Get going. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that, that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny, what they'd agreed to. And when they'd received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and now it's given them equal unto us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he, that's the master representing Christ, answered one of them and said, Friend, friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first. And the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. First of all, I want to point out to you today that living for eternity is better than living for the present. You know, the people who looked at that rich young ruler, they thought he had it all. And they would have looked at Peter and they would have turned up their nose at Peter and would have scorned Peter. 
You know, he had given up much of what he had. He had a mother-in-law, he had a wife, he had a family he led. We see that in Scripture. But he had given up those things God had requested of him to give up. He was not a wealthy man anymore. He left his fisherman trade to live for eternity. And, and the people that day would do like many people would do today, where they would look with scorn upon Peter and with envy upon the rich young ruler. And I hate to say it, but in my life and the lives of every American, we are rich. We are in the top 5% of the world with our wealth. I think it's healthy for every young man or woman, before you go into whatever career you think God wants you in, to take a stop for a moment and take a short-term trip to someplace like South Africa or Cameroon to see and give God a chance to work in your life. To let your heart and your eyes influence your heart. Because, you know, we have time to go try this trade out or check that trade out, but oftentimes we don't leave time to spend for eternity. We'll overturn this stone and that stone to learn your trade, but we won't overturn this stone or that stone to see what God might open up to serve Him. You know, somehow young people, they come forward at an altar and they kneel and they say, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I want to live for eternity. And then they go home like bump on the log and don't get involved in anything at church. They don't do anything to help in the Sunday school class. They don't do anything to help in outreach. And, and they expect God to come along with a bolt of lightning and zap them and energize them to be a, a great D.L. Moody preacher or something overnight. You know, and, and living for eternity is worth it. But many times we are like in the background here looking at the wealth and we're weighing this all out. And we're doing like Peter. We say, hey, God, if I do this, what will I get for it? Is it worth it? Or, God, maybe I could do this. And oh, oh, we're like, we're intertwined with the world. We're pulled at like a rubber band. It's not a comfortable place to live in. You know that? But to back up and think about the fact that you will never regret living for eternity. It'll never, it'll never seem like the smart thing to do for earthlings to put all of our energies and resources into something we can't see and touch and hold. That's what faith is, putting your energy into something you can't see and hold. And the disciples were living with a focus on eternal inheritance. And uh, Jesus, he points this all out in this context with the rich young ruler. And he goes on and points out the fact that uh, one day, King Jesus will be on the throne. And when King Jesus is on the throne, the tables will turn quite drastically. The currency will be amazingly different than the U.S. dollar that runs the world now. The currency in the kingdom will be so different, you will look back at this kingdom and say, how did I miss it? Because it'll be exactly upside down. And we're going to come back to that thought in a minute, so hold on to that. But if we're going to live for eternity, we need to figure out what makes eternity tick. And live for that, not this, because we know who the God of this world is. We know who has geared this whole system. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was pretty clear about the prince of the power of the air that worketh in the children of disobedience. Number two, leaving the choice of reward in the Lord's hands is wiser than choosing for yourself. Leaving the choice of reward in the Father's hand, in the vineyard owner's hand, is wiser than dickering for your own wage. That was kind of a gentle rebuke to Peter. Peter said, okay, God, I gave this up. What's my interest rate going to be? What, what am I going to get? You know, am I going to be on your right hand? He, his mother even got in the act one time, remember? Wanting her sons on the right hand, you know, John's mother. Who's going to sit in this favored place in the kingdom? And Jesus just says, look, it's going to be good. 
It's going to be a hundredfold. But leave the choice with me. Just like in this parable, he kind of goes on and gently rebukes Peter with all the other things he's teaching. One of them I believe he was teaching Peter is don't dicker for the penny. Go to work for the good master. Let him decide you're higher. Whether you're 40 years old when you get saved or whether you're 10 years old, you just go to work and be faithful. And uh, Jesus goes on and he, he emphasizes that it's more important for us to focus on suffering and persecution than the reward. Chapter 20, verse 17 through 23, he tells Peter later on, he says, Are you ready to share in my sufferings? Are you ready, really ready to drink my cup? And Jesus would ask that tonight. And Jesus would say, then don't focus on the reward. Focus on taking up the cross and following me. Focus on the cross, not the reward. And I know the Lord has talked about rewards that are in heaven. And I know he means for us to understand those things. But right now, the here and now is to focus on being a good soldier who bears under like Timothy 2 talks about. Who gives all to not be entangled with the affairs of this life. Who preaches the word in season and out of season. Reproves, rebukes, exhorts with all longsuffering and doctrine. Who's alert to the itching ears. Who goes out, goes out as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So, number one, we see that living for eternity is better than living for the present. I think we can all agree on that, right? That's, we know that in theory, but do we know it in practice? Number two, leaving the choice of rewards in the Lord's hand is wiser than dickering over how many pennies pay we're going to get. You know, there's, a, there's an old parable told of a great wealthy king on a white stallion. And he's coming through a village where there's a poor beggar with a bowl of rice. And that poor beggar expects of that great king to give him a gold coin. And so he goes up to the king on his stallion. And as he gets to the king, instead the king looks at him and asks for some of his rice in his bowl at the side. And, and the man thinks, what kind of, I mean, this guy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has it all. What does he need me for? I mean, he could be doing something nice for me, not me sacrificing for him. Well, I'm afraid that's the attitude a lot of us Christians sometimes catch. And, and so the master, he, he holds up his bowl of rice, and he takes a kernel of rice out and drops it in the hand of the king. Graciously, the king asks for more. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, somebody gives you one kernel, one little measly 10% of their life, okay, and that's about it. That's my gift to God. And, and so the king asks for more, and the man gives him a second grain and a third grain. And finally, the king just goes on about his way, and the man looks down and discovers that there's three grains of gold in his bowl for every grain of rice that he gave to that king. And you know, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying when he talks about being a hundredfold, uh, but leaving the choice of the rewards in the Lord hand and focusing instead on the suffering, as Jesus said in chapter 20, that's what God expects of us. Number three, how you finish is more important than when you began. Did you get that? You know, that gets many Christians discouraged. How you finish is more important than when you began. Some of these men didn't get to begin work until the 11th hour. They had one hour. That would be like me living to be 60 years old and not getting saved till I was 50. I couldn't even begin to lay up eternal rewards until I'm 50 years old. Then we have people who squander their Christian life or, or who weren't saved until later, and they get discouraged. They say, how could I ever serve God to my potential now? A young man I told you about this morning who broke his leg and, and uh, ended up in his Bible a lot. We spent a lot of time talking about the Word of God. He called the name of the Lord and got saved. 
And he constantly would be throwing back at me, Charles, should I have married the girl? What could have been different? Could she still be here? Uh, Charles, you know, what, what could I have done different for my son? I love my little two-year-old boy so much. And, and he kept living in the past. And I kept having to take him back to Paul and saying, did you ever murder anybody? Paul did. He'd carry parents away from homes and leave their kids. If anybody had regrets for the past, and I'm sure Paul made things right, he wouldn't confess his sin as he came across those families. But Paul had to come to the point where he said, I forget those things which are behind. Why? So I can reach for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I don't want to become a castaway. Paul understood that in the life he had remaining, God could yet do much through him. Amen. And God did a lot through him. He helped to turn the world upside down. The word Christian was invented around Paul's ministry. And, uh, and yet we think about how many people sometimes get, have regret for years they left Pass. Well, you know what? God cares about faithfulness and good stewards. And God cares more about how you finish the race than when you began. So finish going out strong and faithful, living in his power and grace. And you'll never regret it. You, must just find, you might just find yourself with a whole penny's labor, a whole penny's reward. We kind of laugh at that, a penny, but that was a whole day's labor back in that day. And Jesus, he's going to multiply things by a hundredfold. So we think about the fact that how you finish is more important than when you began. Imagine these grumpy, half-hearted workers just watching the clock. You know they're grumpy because they talk about the heat of the day and we worked all day for you and we only got a penny. You know, I mean, how, how happy do you think that made the master, that second-generation Christian mentality? What happened to the on fire for God? What happened to the where's my cross? I'll take it and follow you today, Jesus. What happened to that focus? That's what Jesus is bringing Peter back to. And, you know, Christ rewards, get this, Christ rewards not in the order of surrender, but rather in the spirit of surrender. So the last went first. Christ rewards not in the order of surrender, but rather the spirit of surrender. So the last went first. Some of you maybe started out well. You used to go soul winning. You used to spend serious time in prayer. You used to avoid worldly attraction so that the love of Christ would constrain you. It wasn't a do-don't list. You just didn't want to be close to the cliff edge. When in doubt, don't do. And that's what made you do right and walk in the light and try to grow and live for the Lord. You weren't walking around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You were eating off all the other trees God had there for you. Maybe you used to be that way. And, uh, and you've fallen away from the Lord. Now you need to realize that how you finish is important. It's very important. Sometimes Baptists get accused of easy believism. Chalk up a prayer and you're saved and go on my punch card. And you know, I believe in eternal security, and I believe you're saved once you're saved. But sometimes we forget to preach that there's more to it than that. There is such a thing as a bama seed of Christ. And we will receive the things done in our glorified bodies according to our works. And some glorified bodies will shine like the sun or the moon, and others will shine like Betelgeuse, like the great stars in heaven. And those crowns represent things done in our bodies. And, of course, we know it's all by God's grace, and we cast that all back at his feet. But there's going to be Christians who are cleaning toilets in eternity, and there's going to be Christians who are ruling over ten cities during the millennium. It's going to work out that way. In fact, those who suffer with Christ, 
They're going to really be reigning. And the apostles caught this. I mean, Peter and all of them, after Jesus went to heaven, got the beating of their life by their, with those rods of the Jewish people. I'm sure every one of them got 39 licks across the bare back. And they went out, what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for him. Peter figured this whole thing out. Of course, he went through that whole relying in his own strength business first there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Lord had to reach out to him in love and keep telling him, Peter, it's how you end that matters. Number four, serving Christ, as we've already said, always comes with a cost. And, and you know what? If you're not ready for that, get your act together and go, pray, go back to your prayer closet. This world is not our home. We are called sojourners and pilgrims and soldiers, not people who make big homesteads and focus on living in this world. Jesus said in, in Peter that one day the elements are going to melt with a great noise and a fervent heat. There's going to be a, a big bang. That's the big bang that's going to happen. It's not going to be putting things together. It's going to be every atom in the universe. By Jesus, Colossians says, all things consist. And when he lets go of that power at the center of the atom that our scientists still can't understand today, the atoms in an eraser, if they were all released, would be greater than the biggest atomic bomb. And, and all the things of this world we live for are going to be dissolved. They're going to melt. They're going to atomically disintegrate. There will be no fancy car. There will be no nice boat. There will be no big glamorous home. It'll all be gone. Every lick of it. So we'd better figure out how to live for eternity, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Peter goes on to say, What manner of persons ought we to be in all holy living and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord? And you know, number four, as I've said, serving, serving Christ always comes with a cost. And yet in America, we're like the rich young ruler sometimes. I've been here, done this. We want to figure out a way without, we want, to, we want to figure out some way to make a side hobby out of Christianity. We want to figure out a way without the cost, without losing any of earth's treasures, to still have a comfortable life and still lay up treasure in heaven. How foolish, how utterly foolish that is to trade off heaven's treasures You know, we have oftentimes referred back to David. He would not sacrifice of that which cost him nothing, would he? He went and bought that animal to do the sacrifice. Because God asks of us our grain of rice. And we can either offer him the whole bowl or 10% of it. We have the choice. We get to offer him. And you can't spend your life in bondage to the hopes or fears or plans or goals that others have for you. That's what Jesus meant when he said, leave houses and lands, or mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. I don't believe for one minute that God was promoting divorce. Okay? What he's talking about is a mama or a papa who wants you to take care of them in their old age and doesn't want you in Africa. Praise the Lord, my family's not that way, but you can have different situations and where there can be ties. And, and you know what? You have to say, Lord, I can't live to the bondage of the fears and hopes and plans. Brother Overmiller is working with young men there in a sports school, and their parents are sending them there to get rich and share it back with the family. And he's working desperately to break through to these young men that you have to strike out and suffer and sacrifice for the Lord. And sometimes that means there has to be some ties cut. I heard an illustration one time of, of how it says that if you love father and mother more than me, you don't love me. And, 
and you need to hate. Wow, that sounds that sounds wicked. Hate family to 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 love the Lord. I had a preacher explain it to me one time this way. He said, remember Jacob and his two wives? Remember when they were going to meet Esau? At the front of the line, what did he put? Bilhah and Zilpah, the handmaids. And then who was next? Leah and her children. And who was next? Right in front of him. Rachel. Now, if you would have asked Leah, what would she have said? She would have said, Jacob hates me. Did Jacob really hate her? Not in the truest sense of the word. He really didn't. But his love for Rachel was so great, it made his love for Leah look like hate. And you know, in our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm all for family. I came from big family. My wife came from big family. But we aren't here to set up Tower of Babels, folks. And uh, we can have so many things in a family that can be business, that can be ministry, that can be church, that our young people aren't willing to stretch out their necks and go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature across the world. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. It is very important to all of us at Help for Wounded Spirits that you know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear with a simple salvation message. You can know today. First, you're a sinner, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second, there's a price on sin, for the wages of sin is death. Third, Jesus paid that price for you, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lastly, you must speak it with your mouth and believe it with your heart, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. Simply ask the Lord to save you in Jesus' name while believing in your heart, and he will. Please contact us if we can help you in any way. God bless you. Doug and Stephanie, thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast has been a blessing in your life. For helpful resources, more information, or to donate to help this vital ministry, visit us at woundedspirits.com.